Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Good afternoon. You ready to take a high place? That is what God wanted me to talk about today. You know, I'm always talking to him, asking him what he wants me to say, and uh, he reminded me of a verse in Habakkuk um, this morning. So we're going to talk today about the Lord, our God, is your bravery. And we're going to talk about taking the high place. I want to give you a little bit of context for where this came from. I was in a meeting with a couple friends of mine, and the one individual was talking a little bit about how he struggles with courage. He goes, Stephanie, you're really good at courage, right? And I kind of giggled, and I said, well, I wasn't always really brave. You know, the first time I tried out for Mandibles in high school, I literally cried. I was shaking so hard. My choir teacher was playing the piano, and I was like, I just couldn't hardly breathe, right? He said, what is wrong? I said, I think I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> I was just so nervous. I loved to sing. I wanted to sing, but it was like I couldn't get my body to be still enough and obey my spirit, which wanted to release the sound. And he just couldn't believe it. He, of course, was very complimentary. Um, but had he not encouraged me in that moment, I may have never started singing. Right? And then I ended up going on tour and singing in a band all over the state of Michigan and doing different things, making a recording. Matt is well aware of my video. Him and Adam teased me about that quite a bit. Anna Maria talked me into doing a video and it haunts me to this day. Yes. Um, but, but it's fun, right? You get to the place in your identity where you do become brave, right? Sometimes you got to do some things afraid. And then you start to shift and you start to change and you go, wow, that wasn't as scary as it was the first time we tried it. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, you've been there. We've all been there, right? So I'm sitting in this meeting with, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to throw one of those. Pastor Jesse still, I love you. Shout out to Spirit of Christ Church. We love you, Jesse. And um, Mark Scott. And we've been working on this gathering called The Hub, His United Body. We're putting together a 24-7 prayer movement in this region. Uh, we did an assessment and found out that we've got about 75%, the Lord has got about 75% of the hours covered, and we just need to cover the other 25%, so we're pretty excited. There were some visions that came forth from Mark Scott um, over the last 30 years, and some things God had said to him about the church and the body and the region. It's just a really beautiful picture of um, the body of Christ being in an ICU unit, and God had been speaking to him specifically about how would you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ if you looked at them and said, when I treat them this way, this is how I'm treating Jesus. So he was talking about how he gets nervous sometimes, Mark was, in this conversation. And I said, I said, well, haven't you heard that voice, that verse, right? I think it's in the Amplified Bible. And I was thinking it was in Isaiah. And I said, the Lord your God is your bravery. And Jesse goes, I've never heard that verse before. I said, I think it's in the Amplified, but I swear that's what it says. So I was looking it up the other day because I was like, I'm going to show him. I know I'm not crazy. That verse is in here somewhere. I looked it up, and then when I was asking the Lord what he wanted me to preach on today, he brought that verse back to mind. It says this in Habakkuk 3.19 in the Amplified Version. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, my invincible army. He makes my feet like hind's feet. 
and makes me to walk. Not stand still in terror, but to walk. So there's this idea that God is my personal bravery. And I said to Mark in that moment, I said, Mark, I, I told him the story about the choir and how he's be all nervous in front of people. I cried the first time I gave a speech. I cried the first time I had to sing in front of somebody. And you look at me now and you think, really? You know, seriously. But I was a very nervous child um, as, as a young person. I was just very nervous. And he said, how did you change? Like, you're very brave, Stephanie. I wouldn't see you as being that kind of person. I would have thought you came out this way. I said, oh, no, honey. I said, I learned that the Lord my God is my personal bravery. That I don't have to feel brave on the inside. I don't have to muster up a false bravery. But when I rely on the reality of who God is, his character, his goodness, his grace, his power, the fact that he is invincible, like it says here, my invincible army, I feel brave. And I don't, it's not a false bravery. It's not a conjured bravery. It's a reality because I'm resting in who he is. Amen? Does that resonate with you? And it gives you a shalom and a peace and a sense of security when we step out in faith, when he speaks a word, that all of who he is, all of his power, all of his grace, all of his mind, all of his counsel, all of his revelation, and all of his understanding is backing you because he asked you to do it. So we can be brave because the King of kings and the Lord of lords speaks a thing to us and wants to speak a thing through us. And it's not by our might nor by our power, but by his spirit. So we never have to wonder. We never have to fear. We never have to grapple with can I, should I, how do I? Because it's all him. And it sets my heart at ease. Can anybody say amen to that? Does that set your heart at ease? Amen. It goes on to say, he, the Lord God is my strength. Okay, So he makes us strong. In my weakness, we are strong. Why are we strong? We're strong because we exchange our weakness at the cross. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, this is hurting me. And at the cross, we treat it. Right? Father, I feel afraid. Well, here, take some of my bravery, darling. Father God, I feel frustrated and angry. Take some of my forgiveness, sweetheart. Father God, I feel feel like I really don't want to love this person. Take some of my compassion off. Right? We've all been there, right? The Lord my God is my strength. So he's my strength. He's my personal bravery. And then it goes on to say, he is my invincible army. I love this. I had to look up the definition of invincible. It means he is capable, excuse me, he is incapable. He is incapable of being conquered. <coughs> Invincible means God is incapable of being conquered. What kind of bravery does that give you to step out in faith? Knowing that God is absolutely incapable of being conquered, and that if he asks you to do something or he says something to you or he calls you out, it is impossible for you to be defeated because you are obeying the word of the Lord. Because the invincible one, the Lord of hosts, is on your side. You're doing his bidding, not your bidding. Right? There's a confidence that comes with that. There's a courage that comes with that. There's a peace that comes with that. And there's a, ooh, 
there's a significance that comes with that. Like, wow, this is important work that I'm doing. Amen? And I love this. It says, it goes on to say, he makes my feet like hinds feet. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And makes me to walk. Sometimes when we're in the midst of a trial, and those of you that know some of my details about what's going on and our family and how I've been praying, you have moments where you're pressing in and you're trying to press through and you just get paralyzed. It's not that you're not walking in faith. It's not that you haven't believed the last word that you've got. It's sometimes the grief and the pain of seeing someone you love so dearly struggle and knowing that you know that you know it's a battle, they have to win. You can't win it for them. It's like the whole butterfly cocoon thing, right? I know if that butterfly is struggling to get out of that cocoon and I snip it, those wings are not going to develop. And so you need this measure of grace and self-control to not function in unsanctified mercy and relieve a person of the pain that they're in prior to them finishing going through the struggle that they actually need to go through to become who it is God's calling them to be in this next season. And it's painful. And sometimes it's so painful and it's so hard when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we get our eyes in that place of unsanctified mercy or that place of compassion where we're looking at the pain they're going through instead of focusing on the possibilities of where we know they're headed. Paralysis can set in. Okay? And it's like you freeze. And you can't move, you can't think, you just want to cry. And you think, oh, can't even hardly pray. I had a day like that this week, and one of the young prophets in this church, I just want to honor you, Matt. I was sitting on my toilet in my bathroom. This lid was down just to be clear. <laughs> because I do a lot of thinking in there, but just so in case you're a visualizer, you know, I want to clarify that for you. And I just needed to be alone. The dogs follow me everywhere. So sometimes I go in the bathroom and shut the door and just shut the door so I, I, I don't have to deal with those precious animals. And yeah, Laura knows she lived with me. And I'm sitting there and I was asking the Lord again. I, I was just having this conversation between me and Jesus. I said, I feel like I've prayed every prayer I can pray. I feel like I've decreed everything I can decree. I feel like I've said everything I can say. And I'm looking at the circumstances and I'm looking at the struggle. And I said, I need to know if you want me to keep pressing in. And I get a text, literally, within seconds. And Matt says, uh, Papa Bear's coming home. He's coming back to the church. And I was in that state of paralysis. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I was just like, Daddy, I need a word, right? Sometimes you just need a word. And uh, it was so spot on. I fell to the floor. I just started bawling. I didn't even have words. I didn't even have words to thank him. I was just like, thank you, Abba. And we have those moments where you've let him be your personal bravery, where you've let him be your strength, where you have relied on the reality that he's your invincible army. But that spirit of terror still comes and tries to paralyze you, right? Because it can be really painful, right? It tries to stop you, to shut your mouth. Like Laura was talking about, this is the year of pay, right? He tries to lock it up, lock up your decree, lock up the word, lock up the prayers, lock up the perseverance. 
And then the Lord will send a, a prophet or a friend to give an on-time word. And it just wrecks you. And you realize, even in those moments, even in those moments of paralysis, even in those moments of struggling, that he's saying again to you, I am your strength. I am your bravery. I am working. I am your invisible army. And I am watching over you too, baby girl. Or baby boy. You are my child. And I felt so loved in that moment. I had to giggle. I was thinking about a story, speaking of the paralysis thing. We do this sometimes, right? You know, have you ever been scared and you get so scared you can't move? You've seen those videos on YouTube where somebody scares somebody else and they want to punch them but they can't move because paralysis literally sets in when you get scared. We, uh, we have five kids in our family. We're Irish Catholic. We've got a sick sense of humor. And our stepdad, we had this old plastic tarantula. It was about this big with red stuff on it. He was in the shower one day, and at our house, it's an older house, at my mom's house, the light is on the outside of the bathroom door. So, you know, we're kids, whatever. We turn it on and off to aggravate the person in there. So sometimes, if they're going to take a really long time, which they have like Yahtzee in the bathroom, we'll be like this, turn the light on and off, on and off, on and off, and they'll be like, nah, get off, because we want them to get out, because somebody else has got to go. you got five kids, right? So he's in there one day, he's in the bathroom. He is not getting out. We're... You know, flicking that light back and forth, back and forth. Dad doesn't have it. He ain't moving when he's playing his game. He does not care. And we all got to go. So I said, that's it. I'm going to put that tarantula. I'm going to hang it from the door right at face level. When he comes out, we're going to scare him. And I'm hee-heeing, giggling. I know it's sick, okay? But we laughed so hard. I had more fun putting the tarantula up than I did actually when he walked out and got scared. But it was funny because... I thought of that when I, when I was writing this down this morning because he came out of the bathroom and normally you don't want to stand by Papa when he swings because he comes out swinging. You just you put something there and you get out of the way because you're going to get hit, okay? Because he gets scared, he starts swinging. So he comes out, that tarantula's there and this is all I can do. And his arms are frozen and I'm watching him like, what is he doing? But he's trying to punch but he couldn't because it scared him so bad he was frozen stiff. But that happens to us sometimes when we're in the heat of a battle, right? You get, there's so much going on, you, you want to move, but you just, you're frozen stiff, right? And in those moments, it's just good to remember that he's your personal bravery, and he's got you, right? It's okay. It's okay if you're frozen for a second. He's got you. He's going to send somebody else to shake you out of it, amen? So that particular verse there, um, it goes on to say in Habakkuk 319b, that we are to make spiritual progress upon our high places, okay? What's the purpose of this? The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. So as, as I was reading this, I was thinking, so what's the purpose? What's the purpose of him being our strength? What's the purpose of him being our personal bravery? What's the purpose of him being our strength? And the answer is right here in this verse. So that we can make spiritual progress in our high places. Our spiritual progress is way more important to God than our comfort or having a life free from trouble or suffering. 
And we kind of go, Oy, that's not what I wanted to hear, <laughs> right? Like on the inside, we kind of go, I could, you could feel it, yeah? Because there's a part of us that knows that we were created for eternity, right? So in our spirit, man, we long for that place of perfection, that place of ease, that place of grace, that overcomers anointing, right? But the reality is the press is actually good for us. It's the very thing that causes us to have to press into more family. Our spiritual progress determines how much we're able to live in the fullness of our inheritance. And for God, it's all about spiritual relationship. Our spiritual progress is about Christ in us, the hope of glory. I think sometimes we think about spiritual progress as work, but the reality is from God's perspective, from an eternal perspective, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So for him, it's more like how much of me gets to be in you. How much of me gets to flow through you. How close to Cammy or to Jacob or to Laura or to Matt or to Patty Jackie, do I get to be to Lyra, to Jalen? How much do I get to dwell in them fully? How free am I in their vessel through them? The scripture tells us that Christ said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Right? Uh, whenever I hear that verse, I just think no place to rest. There's nowhere he can rest perfectly in a sense. That verse always kind of pulled at my heartstrings because I wanted to say, Lord, make me a place where you can find rest. Make me a place where you can flow freely. Make me a place where you feel like you can rest your head and you can say anything you want to say and do anything you want to do. Does that resonate with your spirit at all? What an honor, what a privilege it would be to be a vessel that says, or is a place where the Lord says, I know 75% of the time or 85% of the time I can go to Stephanie or I can go to Brenna or I can go to Alan and I find rest there because when I prompt them, when I say this, will you go here? They go. When I say, will you say this? They say, when I show them a vision like you showed Lyra earlier, she asks me, what do you want me to do, Lord? What is this? I'm going to step into this and see more. Right? Well, I know she's not afraid to feel emotion or to seem undignified in the presence of the people. She cares more about me and encountering me and glorifying me than what all this looks like. What a privilege. What an honor. Amen? Yeah, amen. He isn't punishing us when he asks us to make spiritual progress or to go up onto the high places. He isn't punishing us. He's actually calling us near to himself. He's drawing us near. He's drawing near to us. He's wooing us. Amen? <laughs> so then I started to think, okay, Lord, well, what are our high places, right? If you look at that verse, it actually tells us what are high places. I think some of us in the prophetic, we love, let's go take the high place. La, 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 la. <laughs> you know, we talk about Hebron, the seven mountains in Israel. We're going to go and we're going to stand up on top of those mountains and we're going to take some, we are going to make some spiritual progress. We're going to war a little bit. We're going to Take your business in that second heaven, right? Call down and be seated in the heavenly places and decree and declare the victory from heaven to earth, right? But it defines it here. It's really interesting. In this particular context, this, this tells us, this verse tells us what our high places are. It says our high places of what? Of trouble, of suffering, or of responsibility. So I looked up all the definitions because that's what I do. Listen to this. Let this settle. This really blessed me this morning. Trouble means to disturb the mental calm and contentment with worry, 
distress, or agitation. <laughs> Places of difficulty or annoyance or harassment from other individuals, and I would add, or demonic spirits, right? To be in an unfortunate or distressing position because of circumstances, occurrences, or to be in a place of misfortune. Okay? So troubles this idea of places of unrest in your mind, when, when the war is in your mind. Okay? When you're coming into a new place of victory and the thoughts are coming and swinging and flinging, right? And you're having to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. That's the place of trouble. That's the high place of trouble. Okay? And we're called to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's right. Right? That's how we win that high place. And you guys are talking about that, I think, right now in DOD, right? Okay? It's important that we have to win the war in our mind in the place of trouble. If we don't win it there, we're not going to win it anywhere, quite frankly. Because where the mind goes, the man follows. That's right. Out of the mouth come the issues of the heart. You're going to say whatever's going on up here in your mind. Those thoughts are eventually going to make their way out if you don't take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. Amen? So the second high place is this high place of suffering. Right? In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart because why? I have overcome. That's right. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So the second high place is this place of suffering. That first place is trouble in your mind, right? It's in the mind. That warfare in your mind is the high place. The second place is suffering. And this is the definition of suffering. I found this to be very interesting. To be in a place of agony, torment, mental or emotional pain or distress. To sustain injury, disadvantage or loss, or to undergo a penalty as of death to endure pain patiently or willingly to undergo or experience the process of enduring pain for a long period of time. So the difference between trouble, the, the warfare going on in your mind with your thoughts, the mental attack, and suffering is that's an emotional attack. It's an attack of the soul. It's a long trial, right? It's a persevering trial. It's a persevering pain, one that doesn't go away for a while. And it's learning to endure those places of pain that are persistent patiently. So that's the second high place. There's the high place of the mind, the worries, the mental stuff. There's the high place of suffering in the soul realm, learning to endure patiently and persevering for a long period of time. And then there's the high place of responsibility. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are responsible, You're responsible. For, for something. Say, so you have authority. And if you're not sitting by anybody, say, I have authority. Yes, you do, okay? We all have a sphere of influence. If you're a mom, you have a sphere of influence. If you work as a teacher, you have a sphere of influence. If you're an intern, you have a sphere of influence. If you work for the government, you have a sphere of influence. If you work for McDonald's, you have a sphere of influence. If you're at a school and you're a student, you have a sphere of influence with your peers. Okay? Any, everywhere the sole of your foot treads, you shall have, what he said, success and favor. It doesn't matter what part of culture you're in. You're taking culture everywhere you go if you're taking your high places. And you have a place of responsibility in culture that God has assigned you to. It could be the apartments where you live. It could be anywhere. It could be your neighborhood. It could be the church. Right? I don't know what that is for you, but, but you do have a place. 
And when the scripture tells us when we're faithful in the little things, he'll make us ruler over much. That's right. He said he, the parable of the talents, he talks about in the end how one was faithful with a little and he gave him more, right? The one who had five made ten. I think the guy that had one tried to bury it. I didn't have much more. Well, if you've been faithful with that, it would have given you more. But you've got to be faithful with what you're given, right? Sometimes we look at the little bit we have and we think, oh, I don't want to lose the thing I have, so we hold it tightly instead of multiplying. God's a God of multiplication. Right? He wants us to make disciples. Who can make disciples? Who can make disciples? All right? Sometimes I think in the church we, we buy into the propaganda that when something splits or um, like we had the commissioning with Jackie lately and Brent handled this so beautifully. Jackie coming up into her new role, right? Sometimes in, in the worldly culture in America we can be like, whoa, what's going on? Jackie's leading and Brent's not leading anymore. What's happening here, people? What's the story? Inquiring minds want to know. Right? But God's got a multiplication and the fact that Jackie's ready to lead is actually a sign that Brent did his job. He multiplied what it was that God taught him and raised her up and equipped the saints to do the work that God prepared in advance for her to do. Now he can move on to other things. Now he's helping with conferences and he's doing all kinds of this stuff. He's speaking, right? He's helping me coordinate these conferences that are coming in. But that door wouldn't have opened had this not happened because he had too many other responsibilities. You see what I'm saying? God's got a multiplication. So sometimes we need to be faithful with the one thing that's in front of us and then wait for the next door open. And ask Father God, Father God, who can invite you to this process with me that I can raise up to do what I'm doing so I can move forward in the next thing that he has for me? Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. If you want to move forward, find somebody to replace you. <laughs> okay? Amen? And make sure you do a good job training them or you're just going to end right up back there. Right? Right? I'm just saying. Listen. You know what? Listen. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Don't be doing the, the Shady Brady trade-off. Pass the torch. You know, on the front porch. You got to do it right, right? Okay? Excellence. God's a God of excellence. Amen? So there are these places of responsibility. The definition of responsibility is the state or fact of being responsible or answerable or accountable for something. Pithing one's power, control, or management. A place where you are found to be dependable, especially in meeting debts or payments or service, a person, thing, or sphere for which one is responsible. Amen? We were talking about accountability before service today, just the beauty of that, that accountability isn't a bad word. It just means, hey, I love you enough to say, this is what we discussed. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know? Um, I think love asks those questions and love follows up that way. Amen? So the scripture continues to go on after we describe these high places, and, and it goes on to say this in Habakkuk 3, 16 through 18. And I think I'm going to read the NIV version now, okay? So I'm moving back and forth between the Amplified and the NIV, just so you're aware. The Amplified is a much lengthier version. The NIV is more condensed. If you look at the context of Habakkuk 3, it's really a cry of a prophet's heart. He's looking at a situation where the Babylonians had come in and they were oppressing uh, the people of Israel and he was quite frankly distraught over it. He was pretty upset. The entire chapter starts out like this. The oracle of Habakkuk the prophet received. 
And he says, it, it's titled Habakkuk's Complaint. Okay, so he's complaining to God at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 1. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? How long? Have you ever said that to God? Jesus, I hope you're hearing me today. Right? And you're just wondering, how long, Lord? How long? When, God, when? Amen. Okay? And it goes on to say, but you do not listen. Okay, Habakkuk's keeping it real here. I don't think you're hearing my prayers. I'm pretty sure you're not listening to me because I have not seen the manifestation, the answer prayer that I am waiting for. What up, Lord? What go on? What go on? We have a problem here, Papa. He said, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Do you not see, in other words? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why do you make me look at injustice? And I think this is a question a lot of us here in America are asking. Why do I have to look upon this injustice? How long is this stuff going to be tolerated, right? Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. So justice, so that justice is perverted. And the Lord says, this is the Lord's reply. And it surprised me a little bit. He said, I could just hear him. He didn't say this in the word, but I'm, I'm hearing like a, awesome. Why don't you sit down? I'm going to tell you a little something. <laughs> Look at the nations, he says, and watch. And be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. So God's basically coming back at him saying, I raised up these evil people to accomplish a purpose that I have set in my heart that's more important than what you see in your comfort and what's making you feel a certain kind of way. I put this individual in this cocoon because my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. I have a greater purpose than your immediate comfort and happiness and even your understanding and ability to relate to what I'm doing in your midst. Amen? Amen. When we think of it that way, it settles my heart a little bit. It's like, okay, I got to step back sometimes and be like, I don't want to be Joe, right? Boss and I around, tell him what to do and get rebuked. God is good. He's always good. That being true, there's a reason. He's allowing some of the sufferings, like we talked about in the high places, some of the troubles to come at us. It's for our spiritual progress, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because God is concerned about our spiritual health. So he complains down through chapter 1 and 2. The Lord answers him all the way through 2, up to 3, and Habakkuk begins to pray in chapter 3 and recount all of the things he's seen God do in the ways that God has delivered the Israelites. <coughs> I'll just give you a few here. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise and rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the angel of the hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. And he goes on and on and on. And he says, the sun and the moon, in verse 11, stood still in the heavens 
At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you thrust your nations. In other words, Father God, I know you're perfectly capable to do business and to give a spiritual spanking here on earth when it needs to be given. He's reminding himself, and sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. When it seems like God is still, when it seems like he had a steam, when it seems like he's not moving, it's because he has another purpose in mind. And oftentimes the purpose is for us, for our spiritual progress, for our growth. He goes on and on, recounting again all the way down through verse 15, talking about, you trampled the sea with your horses churning the great waters. And then in 16, and you'll see this on the screens, Habakkuk 3, 16 through 18 NIV. He said, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound, and decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. In other words, I'm not seeing a single sign that anything has changed. Yet, yet, he says, I will patiently wait for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. And sometimes we're in the midst of a trial where we've prayed and we've waited and we've prayed and we've waited and we don't see it. We don't see it. We don't see it. But it does not mean that God is not moving. Can anybody say amen? And it's not so much a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And we have to patiently wait for the Lord to move because he's waiting for something to be accomplished in us. He's waiting for us to have that experience of the spiritual progress that we need to have so that we can take that high place he needs to take. He needs us to take so that we can be rightly positioned for the season that he's calling us into. Can anybody relate and say amen? 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 Tell your neighbor, say, that's you. That's you. No. Yeah, and that's me. Amen. That's me too. That's right. Okay. Even when we don't see it. God is moving, and we're called to wait patiently, right? This is funny. It goes on in the next verse. I love this. Verse 18, right after that, says, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Even though Habakkuk was not seeing anything on the vine, there were no cattle and stalls. There was no fruit. There was nothing to the naked eye and the natural that he could look at. He said, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I will rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is always good. The Lord is always moving. What's it released from his mouth? Once he says it, it's already accomplished and it's just a matter of time. So we can rejoice in the victory. Can anybody say today that there are some things you need to rejoice in that maybe you that you're holding on to because I know I got it. And I am rejoicing in faith because God is good and God is faithful and God is moving on my family's behalf. And I will rejoice in the Lord because he is faithful and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? Because he always comes to snatch me up. He always comes to save me. He always comes to my aid. He is always faithful. He is always good. He is always moving. And he loves us. He loves us and he loves 
people. And he never, he never, ever, ever fails. He never fails. Rejoice means to be glad. I will be glad today. Rejoice means to take delight in. I will take delight in my Lord today. Rejoice means to gladden one's heart and to make a joyful song. I will make a joyful song today. I will sing, like we were doing earlier, with joy in my heart, because I know he's on the move. When she was singing that song, he's lifting my load, he's lifting my load. It was so resonating in my spirit. And then I saw a vision of Papa Bear in this house. He's lifting his load. He's lifting his load. And I couldn't stop singing it over. God is moving and we can rejoice. Sometimes we see things in the spirit first. I want to give you an update. I always try to give you an update. We have 90 answered prayers today. 90. It's been 61 days. We have 90 answered prayers. That's more answered prayers than there were days that this has been going on. And I'm just praising him. I'm just praising him. The NIV version goes on and it says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. God is in control. There is nothing that escapes his notice. There is nothing he does not confront. There's nothing he hasn't set spiritual laws in place to deal with. There's nothing that escapes his attention or care. He's sovereign. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And I, I love that version of it because it sells how do we allow him to be my strength when I remember nothing escapes his notice. Nothing. In other words, we like to say on the south side, he's got this. Girl, he's got you. Right? You're my ride or die. I got your back. God's sovereign. He's got your back. He's your ride or die. Literally. Literally your ride or die. It goes on to say, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And in that amplified version, it said, um, I want to put this up here for you. It said, He makes my feet like hind's feet. Able to walk. I did not know this until I did the study for this, but a hind is actually a female deer. Okay, and they're very delicate legs. If you look at the picture on the screen, you can see that the legs are actually, the lower half of the legs are very, very bony, very dainty. They've got hoofs to protect them from the rocky crags. Okay, so they've got these very dainty feet, and you see the little catch-all back there, those tiny little toe-looking things. If they start to slip, they can catch themselves on those, right? And their quarter, their rear quarter is very muscular, okay? So they've got these very muscular bodies and these very dainty legs. I found out that the female deer specifically is so accurate in running that her hind legs can actually land in the exact place where her front legs stepped. They can run in such a manner and with such accuracy that wherever the front leg went, that's where the back leg lands. Okay, so imagine this deer going up the mountain and there's 
a very narrow path, maybe a rock here and a rock there, and they've got to hit that just exactly right with both legs to be able to move up steadily, right? And that back leg has got to go exactly where that front leg went. And if those rocks slip, or they miss it by an inch or by a two, right? They could be sliding to the left or sliding to the right. It's a picture of accuracy. It's a picture of strength. It's a picture of agility. When Father God gives us hind's legs, there's a grace on you. There's a grace to run in excellence, in an agile way. Well, you're not missing a beat. And you're heading up that mountain, and it seems absolutely perilous. But somehow, you're making your way up. And like the hind, your right foot is hitting a spot, and your left foot is coming up, and then that hind leg is coming right up and hitting the exact same spot so that you don't lose your footing. And you can continue to climb in your spiritual progress and do and be and become everything he's called you to be. The front legs on a hind are very interesting too. Their, their legs are so delicate and so narrow and their hoofs are so small. It actually helps them to be able to turn on a dime. So when they're being attacked by the prey and they're running out in the field, the prey, the big lion paws, right, or whatever, they're coming after them, or the panther, or the cougar, or whatever, and that deer can make a about face, right turn. And that lion's got a you know, I'm trying to turn and catch up with it. But that deer, it's gone. Right? It's gone. I love it, though. You know, so in times of danger, she's able to run securely and not get off track. The hind is able to scale unusually difficult terrain and elude predators. The deer feet or hooves are anatomical wonders, Google tells us. Whether simply running, chasing other deer, or evading danger, the muscular hind legs propel their movements, and the front legs serve as perfect pivot points to make sharp turns. But the hooves are what make it all possible. Right? That hard protection on the bottom of their feet keeps them from getting hurt as they maneuver. Isn't that amazing? So this idea of rejoice started to resonate in my spirit, and I was... Another confirmation, y'all have been so gracious. Another friend texted me out of the blue and said, I was in my prayer time this morning. It was 3 to 5 a.m. She said, I saw this verse hanging in the air, and it had your name over it. And the Lord said, grab it and give it to her. I said, all right. And um, it was the similar season when Matt sent his word. And I was like, okay, Lord, you know, it was more in the roll over and shun da 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 kind of prayer, okay? You know what I mean? When you feel like you've been hitting your head against a stone wall. That's kind of, I had a couple days like that this last week. And uh, this is the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. And I think it goes all the way through 18. And this is in the Amplified, okay? It says, see that none of you repay evil with evil, but always aim to show kindness and seek to do good to one another and to everybody. Be happy in your faith and rejoice. There's that word, rejoice. And be glad, hearted, continually, always. And I thought it was interesting. I put, she gave me that end tail into that verse about rejoice and be kind, always. But I wanted to look, I didn't see the context of it until I started to prepare for this message. The context of the rejoicing is when someone's intentionally being malicious towards you or evil towards you. It's in the face of cruelty. 
The word malicious means intentionality and unkindness. So in that context, God is saying, be happy in your faith. What, how, how can we be happy in our faith? How can we be happy in our faith? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things what? Unseen. So we get happy in those things that we hope for. We get happy in those things not yet seen because we know that we know that we know who we serve. We know what he said. We know what he showed us. You hold on to the visions. You hold on to the verses. You hold on to the prophetic words. You hold on to the promises. And you get happy in that. And you stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Sing a little song. Lift my load. Amen? He's lifting my load. I sing all kinds of crazy songs this week over people. <laughs> it helps to sing. Rejoice and be glad-hearted continually and always. When people are being evil, malicious, inconsiderate, and unkind, it can be very difficult not to react or retaliate. But that is what separates us from the world. The Lord was reminding me of John 13, 35. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. When you what? If you love one another. That's right. Love is the litmus test that actually separates us and causes us to shine as his stars, as his light, as his people in the world. Amen? It's the litmus test. People look at Christians and go, you know, they're his or they're not. You're different. There's something different about you. We were talking about that today. That's about God, baby. I'm not coming back at you the way you're coming at me. That's called Jesus. Sometimes you got to be innocent and devil's wise as a serpent. It's all right. Love on them real close. Get your hands on them in a loving Jesus way. Right? It's all right to laugh. It's all right to laugh. I am Yeah, I know. Some of y'all have a vision of smacking people around. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the love of the lower of death. Amen? I love it. I love it. So that verse goes on to say, Going back to our Habakkuk verse, you remember he said, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk understood a secret. We do not have to be miserable while climbing the proverbial high places of suffering, trouble, and responsibility in our lives. We do not have to be miserable. Even when we're in the midst of very difficult situations, he said, I will be joyful in God my Savior. I will rejoice. I was like, mm -mm -mm, I so needed this this week. So going back to the First Thessalonians 5.15, it's the same thing. We can be happy in our faith, right? We relish in what God is showing us, what's to come in the future, for the joy set before him, Jesus, what? Endured the cross. Now it says he's scorning its shame, all the while scorning its shame. We talk about this a lot. Scorning means to feel or express contempt, or a strong emotional desire to reject something. Can anybody relate to that part? Okay? It's okay to feel contempt for the situation. It's okay to feel a strong emotional desire to reject the pain. It said Jesus did the same thing. He scorned the shame of the cross. He had strong contempt for the process. However, but for the joy set before him, he what? Endured. He endured. Because perseverance produces what, Cammie? Come on. Character. And character. Oh. And hope does not. But it does what? That's right. It appoints us to the very thing we're called to do. Okay? It appoints us to the very thing we're called to do. That's right. We can be glad-hearted continually when we keep our eyes on the joy set before us. Okay? 
the rest of this verse is just beautiful. In the Amplified Version, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18, it says, Be unceasing in prayer, praying perseveringly. Honestly, I didn't know that was a word until today. I didn't think you could put L-Y on persevere. Praying perseveringly. That's a mouthful. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be. Be thankful and give thanks anyway. What can you thank him for? Thank you, Lord, that I'm breathing. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not dead. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not murdered today. Thank you, Lord, that my friend texted me while I was on the toilet in the dog's around there and I could have a moment by myself. Thank you, Lord, that I have enough food to feed my kids. Thank you, Lord, that you're still speaking to me and through me. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this city. Thank you, Lord, that you're not finished with us yet. Thank you, Lord, for my precious friends. Thank you, Lord, for the ones that have come alongside me. There's much we can be thankful for, amen? It says, and give thanks for this is the will. We, we hear people say, I don't know what the will of God is for me. I'm not sure what God wants me to do. I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what his purpose is for me. Sometimes we don't discover our will or the will of God, excuse me, until we begin to take the next step of faith. We did a teaching not too long ago called Water Walkers. You remember that teaching? Okay, we talked about how Peter got out of the boat, and Jesus only gave him one word, come. And just like Mira was talking about earlier today, when she stepped out with the vision that she saw, sometimes you've got to step out on that word before he's going to give you the next one. And it's a faith walk. And Moses, when he was leading the people out of Israel, I don't think he, God gave him the whole story of how that was all going to go. I don't think he knew that they were going to have magicians that could do the same signs that God told them they were going to do. I'm sure he was feeling troubled and felt like he was suffering every time he went back to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh said, I'm not letting them go. Moses, God would have Moses tell him again, let my people what? go. And he didn't listen. Can you imagine being Moses again and again and then watching play after play after play come on him going, oh Lord God. No, please not the plague of death. When it came to his son died, can you imagine the grief that came with that type of a word? Right? And then thinking it's all over and they finally gave up. They gave him all the treasure and everything. They're leaving, finally leaving Egypt, only to get halfway through the desert and turn around and realize the Pharaoh changed his mind and he's chasing him. He's like, I've done had it. Forget this. I'm not letting these people go. All our sons died. The oldest sons, right? Ooh. He came after him with a fury. And he's standing at the water's edge. And he says, basically, stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. And God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Look at what's in your hand. The staff. He already had everything he needed to get across the Red Sea, but he was telling the people, stand still, don't move, watch God move on our behalf. Moses like, oh, no, 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 I need you to move. You see what's in your hand? I need you to do something with what I've already given you. Hold your staff out over the water. And what do you do? He separated it. So that the people could go through on dry land. Dry land, that was miraculous. And Pharaoh, in his rage, followed him into the Red Sea, and his arrogance, and his pride, in his irritation, in his judgment, in his grief, Followed him into the Red Sea. We're coming for you, right? And my heart weeps when I think about this, but I'll tell you a little something you might not have caught. 
the water comes in over Just picture that in your mind's eye. They all get through. As soon as the last Israelites through, the water comes in over And this is confirmed archaeologically, just so you know. They found chariot wheels down in the bottom of the Red Sea, buried. And this is interesting. It says that the Pharaoh's men cried out, the Lord is God. <coughs> Unfortunately for some, and I don't know about you, but I'm saying this. Say, not me, Lord. Not me, Lord. Some, for some, the stubbornness, they won't let it go. The pride, the resistance against the goodness of God causes them to be like Pharaoh and to be the ones that rage into the Red Sea. And only at the last moment, after the waters begin to cover them, are they able to confess, the Lord is God. Broke my heart the first time I read that. But we don't have to live that way. God's offering you that opportunity now. And he's calling us to walk in a place of life and blessing and grace and honor and fullness of our inheritance in Christ Jesus if we'll receive it. People uh, sometimes on Facebook just bless me so much. Not being sarcastic. But they have valid questions, right? Like sometimes they'll say, if God is a God of love, why is there a hell? Well, because God is also a God of liberty. And hell is a place that God designed so that he can send people there to be tormented. Hell is actually a place devoid of God. And because God is love and God is good and God is grace and God is righteous and God is justice, hell is a place completely devoid of all of those things, which leaves you with what hell is, a place of torment. And I think so many times we unnecessarily get a spiritual spanking, if you will. Not because we don't want to be blessed, but because we don't know who he is. We don't know who he is. We look at our fathers, we look at our mothers, we look at our friends, we look at the people we know and how they've let us down. And we say, God must be like that too, so I'm going to be careful. But that's not who he is. He says, I am not like your earthly father. I am the perfect father. I am the perfect father. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He never makes a mistake and he never asks you to do anything that he doesn't give you the power to accomplish. And we can always, always, always trust him. Amen? So be unceasing in prayer, praying perseveringly. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be. Be thankful and give thanks. This is the will of God for you. That's how we know what the will of God is. The will of God is to give thanks in all things. Why? Because he's always good. And if something crazy is going on in your life, it's only because he's attempting to bring spiritual progress to you. Can anybody say amen? Amen. And we can thank him for that. We can always thank him for that. Because it's for our good. The mustard seed of faith. Okay, we talked a little bit about my situation and shared some things there. God isn't afraid of how we feel when we're going up the mountain. He isn't afraid of our feelings. He isn't afraid of the reality. The Jamar always likes to say, right, we love Jamar. The struggle is real. Right? The struggle is real. We, we love him, brother. He always says that the struggle is real. And God is not intimidated by the struggle that's going on because he's looking for your spiritual progress. So if we really want to be in relationship with him, if we want to stand before the gate and hear, 
well, you know, or see him in the end and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? We have to be known by him. For those gnashing their teeth and standing outside the gate, he didn't say, you didn't know me. He said, away from you, evildoers, for I never knew you. One requirement of spiritual progress is actually to open up and unveil your heart. That's why it says, we behold God with unveiled face. It's a place of vulnerability, right? We talk about that a lot here. It's a place of transparency, right? It's when we are vulnerable with him, we're honest, like, ooh, Lord, this one hurts. <laughs> Laura's got me singing a song this week. It just came back to me. I just... You all have just been amazing. And she said, Steph, I just felt like I was supposed to send you this YouTube, and I opened it up, and this is a song that's playing. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. I've been singing it for three weeks. Okay? Now, I'm saying it as a prophecy, but it worked for me. It worked. Right? Because sometimes you just need to say it over yourself. Because the emotions are so strong when you're dying to yourself, okay? In the Old Testament, there's a scripture that says, bind me to the altar, David said, lest I kick against you. Nobody wants to die. Even Christ, perfect, he was perfect. He scorned the cross. It's not fun, but it is good, and it is God. The parable of the mustard seed, we're going to talk about that a little bit. When I read this verse here, pray perseveringly. He reminded me of the scripture in Matthew. It says in the NIV, he replied to his disciples, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will be done for you. Nothing will be impossible for you, right? So I used to think that it was about the smallness of our faith. Oh, you don't have enough faith. You need more faith, right? Like, your faith is too small. It's not enough. And then I would go, well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so I need to read the word more. That's how I'm going to get more faith. It's about how much faith I actually have. But that's not what this is saying at all. That word right there, so little faith, that's translated so little faith, it really, it comes from the Greek, and I won't make you repeat this. It's oligapizos, okay? Yeah, oligapizos, okay? It means little in number, the opposite of which is many in number. It's literally about how many times you've done something because you have so little faith. In other words, because you've only asked me so little many of times, a small few amount of times. In other words, just like that verse in Thessalonians was saying, it's not about how big or how small your faith is, it's about how persistent your faith is. We talked about the persistent widow the other day. It's about how many times you go back to the judge and say, Lord God, Lord God, you said, you said, you said, you said, you said, I believe. It blew my mind. This blew my mind. We wonder sometimes why we don't see answers to prayers in certain areas. And it's not that your faith is small. It's not that something's wrong with you. It's not that you need more of the word. It's that you need to stay at it and do it again and 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 again. Amen. Come on, somebody. 
I think about Elijah, right? When he went to the king, what did he say when they were in the war? He said, I want you to, I'm giving you these arrows. God said, strike the ground. And what did he do? Hit it three times. What? One, two, three. Right? No. Elijah said, I'm talking south side. Brother, please. Seriously? If you had struck it five or six or seven times, the war would have been won and your enemy would have been completely obliterated, but you only struck it three times. Sometimes we only want to pray three times. Sometimes we only want to pray one or two times and we're like, Lord, where are you at? Where's my answer, bro? Your word says, right? And then we try to blame God like something's wrong with him. Nothing's wrong with God. If, if the prayer's not getting answered, it's 100% chance the fault is our own that we have not prayed enough times or we have not got the right revelation or something's off on our end. God doesn't make any mistakes and his word is true. His love never fails. It says his word always accomplishes the purpose for which it's sent, right? And that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. Just ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what? What is it? Why am I not getting breakthrough? What am I missing? What is it you're trying to teach me in this process? Am I trying to get out of a spiritual progress moment, a mountain climbing, high place moment? Am I trying to wiggle off the altar of something you want to do in me? But right, we do that. We try to wriggle our way off. Right? It goes on in um, context is so, so important when we're looking at this verse. We're talking about rejoicing in the midst of people being intentionally evil to you. And I think this is just beautiful. Look what comes right after this verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21 in the Amplified, it says, Do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. We take that verse out of context all the time. The context of this verse is when people are being intentionally evil and cruel and malicious to you, God is telling you to persevere in prayer and to rejoice and this goes on to say, do not quench the Holy Spirit in what? In rejoicing, in giving thanks, in being glad-hearted. Let Holy Spirit, his glad-heartedness bubble up in you. Just because we're in the midst of a trial does not mean we have to be miserable. Amen. Yes. And then it goes on and it says, do not spurn the gifts and utterances of the prophets. Okay. Do not depreciate the prophetic revelations, nor despise the inspired instruction or exhortation or warning. Ninety answered prayers. I'm not going to despise them. Ninety. You cannot make this stuff up. God is doing something. It is already finished, and it's only a matter of time. I did not call Matt and ask him to text me while I was sitting in the bathroom with the toilet lid down, asking God, what do I do? What do I pray? I am stuck. I feel paralyzed. And for him to text and say, Papa Bear's coming home. He'll be back at church. You can't make that stuff up. I will not depreciate the prophetic revelations that God has given his people. And then it goes on to say, but test and prove all things. All right, Lord, let's see if this is you. So we had a couple of revelations that came through out of Ezekiel 37 regarding the dry bones. And I was like, okay, this seems a little weird. Some chick from Africa, I don't even know. I asked a real close group friend of mine, an apostolic group, that I'm in there to pray. This chick sidelines me on WhatsApp. And I feel like God said, wake up at midnight and pray this specific prayer out of Ezekiel 37. And it had to do with the dry bones. But you go on in the verses and it talks about them coming up out of the grave. 
Okay? That the, they're in a grave, the Israelites are basically buried with the Lord's and they dig them up out of the grave and fill them with the Holy Spirit. I was like, well, thank you, Jesus. Yes, I may mean, not have seen that. I'd never seen that part of the verse before. Then, someone calls me from across the state that I've never heard of, that does not know me, that happens to be my Facebook friend on Facebook. Uh, you don't know me, my name is so and so, I'm not going to say his name. But I feel like God told me to call you, and He's had me taking you before the courts of heaven and your family before the courts of heaven for the last four hours. And God wants me to tell you everything's dealt with, everything's done, and it is finished. I think we dealt with everything. And I just started to kind of get quiet. I was actually taking Cammie out for her birthday that day. We were going bowling, and I had to stay in the car and talk to this guy. So I'm like, Lord, this has got to be, you, you can't make this stuff up. I said, Well, since God thought it was okay to tell you my mail, I'm going to tell you the whole details of what's going on. If God thinks it's okay to read you in, I'm going to read you in. He texts me back, talking about confirmations, okay? He texts me back. This was the proving of that verse from the girl from Africa that I did not know, from Ezekiel 37. And he says, I had a vision of your husband. And he's in a box, and he's underground. And the enemy means this to, to kill him. He means it for death. He said, but I saw God go down and dig him up, just like that verse said. And I saw him coming up out of the dirt. And when he came up out of the dirt, he said, I thought he was just going to shake it off and give him a robe of righteousness or something beautiful to put on. He said, but all of a sudden he became a tree, an oak of righteousness. He said, God is using this to create the man of God and the leader that he called him to be. I about fell out. That was a testing and a proving that that word from the other girl in Africa, who I had never talked to before either, was true, and it was God. Can anybody say amen? amen? You cannot make this stuff up. God loves you. And when you're going through, and you are persevering in prayer, and you are believing for things, do not despise the prophecies. Do test and prove them. If you're like, yeah, I don't know, Lord, show me that. I'm testing it, Lord. I'm laying it before you. Show me that it's true. I want to know that I know that I know it's you. It says... But test and prove all things until you recognize what is good. What is good, what God says is good, is good. What is good, what God shows is good, is good. What is good, what God speaks is good, is good. And it shall be so. It shall be exactly as he said it will be. And then we hold fast to that. And we abstain from evil. We fight those high places of trouble and suffering, right? We take those thoughts captive. We respond. We don't react. We walk in love. We continue to persevere and we pray. We rejoice and we thank God in the midst of it all, knowing all the while that he is moving and we shall have exactly what he said we should have. And then I get here today. Let's do one more example. I'm trying to honor y'all. And uh, Patty walks up to me. Stephanie. She has this cute little thing about her. Stephanie, she's so excited. The Lord woke me up this morning and she kind of shared this here about her decree five times. What was the decree then? It was reset. Reset. Okay, now you don't know this. But he told me Shane's name. I mean, it came right out of the Bible. Okay, so she, he told her Shane's name. Now she doesn't know this. Laura, I had had a dream, four dreams in a row, specifically about a computer that needed to be reset. Prophet Laura said, I hear reset, Stephanie, immediately. Now, this was a month ago, over a month and a half ago, a month ago. We've been praying and decreeing for a spiritual reset. That's what we've been praying. She walks in today and said, Daddy woke me up, gave me Shane's name, and told me to decree and declare reset five times. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on.
praise you. He's good. He is good. Mm, mm, mm. When we hold on to that, when we hold on to that, then it goes on and it says, and may the God of peace, of shalom, himself sanctify you through and through as we endure this process of praying perseveringly and being willing to go up and take the high places of struggle, of trouble, of responsibility, and learn to respond and not react. And we hold on to those revelations so we don't despise the prophecies. But we agree and we decree that the God of peace himself sanctifies us through and through. And we get to the place where we know that we know that we know. And no devil in hell Satan himself could show up in your room and not talk you out of the truth that you know. Because you come to the place where you recognize. And it, honestly, it almost scares me a little bit. I don't know how to explain it except to say when I get to this place of recognizing in God, I feel so fierce that it almost causes me to tremble. There's a level of confidence, and I know that I know that I know. And it goes on and it says, And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, sound and complete, and found blameless. Blameless. Turn to your neighbor and say, You are blameless. You are blameless. Yes, you are. Blameless. In the coming of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Come on. It is all about our spiritual progress. Okay? He causes us to triumph. He makes us triumph in Christ Jesus because it's already finished. Amen? And we have victory in our high places and all of them. In the place, the high place of trouble, you have victory. In the high place of struggle, you have victory. In the high place of every responsibility and relationship that you've been given, you already have the victory. Can anybody say amen? amen. These trials that we go through that seem literally impossible to see the victory, and we will see the victory because with God all things are possible. Things that seem insurmountable to us are but a small thing to him. He makes us triumph. He causes us to go up on the heights of the mountains of spiritual progress and to be victorious every time. Every time. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God all things are possible. So keep dreaming. Keep praying and simply obey because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, and more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.